Hey friends, so we're just getting back from Homesteaders of America conference and had a little bit of time to decompress and think about all of the amazing things we had going on there and learned and just wanted to kind of share some of the insights with you of what we learned and excited to tell you more about it. So join us on this episode as we dive into all of that. Hey friends! Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned. Everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. Hey all, it's me, Lacey and Drew. We're excited to be here with you today. We actually decided to go ahead and sort of do a little bit of an overview of our experience at the Homesteaders of America conference, which happened in October. Yeah. So it was our first time going there and it was really encouraging, I think yeah. is the right word. Like there were 5,000 people that actually sold out. It all. was packed out. Yeah. Let's reverse just a second and talk okay. about why A, we have never gone and B, why we did go this year. Yeah. I don't know why we've never gone. So I'm, I hope you have an answer I feel, to that. I think, I think that as homesteaders, we're all very busy, right? And so it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to take these three or four days to go and hear and talk and listen to what I can find on YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I mean, I yeah. think there is a little bit of a redundancy there in terms of, yeah, of course, most of what we heard today can be found in other places online. Sure. But what I know about live events is I think why we went this year is in that it's the most encouraging place to be around people who are like-minded. It's the most uh, motivational and inspiring thing to do is to be in space with other people who are doing and, you know, moving in the same direction you are. I think it's so helpful, especially right now, because it feels like, you know, we've just got to refocus our energies back on what's the most important and how do we do that in a way that's effective. And everyone is struggling with these same issues, these same like worries about the state of the world. And so being in that space was just, it was, it was huge. Yeah. I think that live events are always that way. Like, you know, even companies have live events to like bring back that energy mm -hmm. that you've kind of lost throughout the year. You know, like with doTERRA, we have like the big convention we go to every year. Right. Well, I think with COVID too, it yeah. made everyone feel like, oh, well, you know what, maybe we can just do everything online. And, right. And yeah. I don't. I don't think that was healthy for us, <laughs> like no. us personally or the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we always say community, community is like, that's the number one thing. So of course, like, again, we've got, when you get to that community level, I think we didn't realize we were missing it because we, we're pretty active with our local community, but being around mm -hmm. that many people was, it was a game changer. Mm -hmm. Just super helpful. Yeah. But okay. So that answer your two questions. There we go. Yeah. I think we got there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, when, when we were there, we got to meet and hear from people that we've, you know, sort of come familiar with or not. Maybe we didn't hear of them before we went, but we, I think we really feel more connected with the just overall, the, these people that, you know, feel like just Instagram accounts or whatever. Now, right. now they the real person has a, a different whole different. Yeah, and they had like some of the big names, like you've heard. You know, the Rhodes were there, and Joel Salatin was there. It doesn't he, get bigger than Joel Salatin right? farming. Yeah, he's like the great grandpa <laughs> of farming. But then we had, like Eustace Conway was there, which you know we all loved. The other thing I think I really loved about the event was it was very family friendly. So we we took the whole family and everybody. 
I think enjoy themselves to some degree. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, as much as kids can. It's challenging. It's a lot of it's a lot for kids to you know travel and you know not be in their home and not be able to you know do their normal activities. Fortunately, our children are older, so five and up. I feel like that's what I was gonna say. I feel like five and up, like. There were a lot of little kids melting down. And yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh man, it would not have been fun. I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, we had some friends there that were they had three little ones, and that it just it looked like a lot. Yeah, but so I guess our next kind of thought was we'll go through some of our sessions that we really liked and just kind of hit the highlights for you guys, and mm-hmm. you know, hopefully bring a little bit back as far as information as what we took away, which I think you know is a good way to get that information if you didn't get to go mm-hmm. yeah sure i mean it's going to be the very cliff note version. cliff notes yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah one of the first talks that we were able to sit down and listen to was with shoot i forget her real name but a farm girl in the making anna something <laughs> she's great and if you've watched any of her stuff she has a useful blog and she is on instagram and she's just a very down-to-earth person who is really motivated by you know supporting local communities and the overall community and encouraging children to get involved in that kind of thing. So she just really spoke right to our, our kind of mission and passions. But she specifically was talking about fermenting and how to preserve food. Actually, she was talking about how to preserve food, but she really didn't get a lot into canning, which I appreciated because I don't know if you know this or not, but Drew and I have really been trying to push through canning and into sort of new frontiers in food storage. We've been not trying to can. We've been trying to do different things. Cannot. Can, not can. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can not can. We can also can can. Anyways, we have been trying to dehydrate and ferment and just preserve in different ways because ultimately, if we're talking sustainability, freezers and then long cooking times are just not really in that kind of infrastructure. And it also becomes a kind of hindrance because it requires so much input, whether it's propane or gas or whatever, to get your your canned goods up to the right temperature for that amount of time. And, and so we've just been really trying to explore other ways. And she really did a good overview of a lot of those different different things. Yeah, I thought like going into it, I, I thought it would be either too basic or go just like super science, super by the book. And that's how like she started off her talk was like, this is not going to be science, this is not going to be like off the book. Like if that's what you like, like you might get a little twitchy here. And that's totally how Lacey and I do it. Like mm-hmm. we just harvested persimmons, made this persimmon pudding, and I had all this pulp, and I was like, Lacey, I'm going to stick this in the fermenter and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the way we do things, and I really appreciated that she had the same mentality because mm-hmm. I think that it was super fun to hear her talk. She was super encouraging. She I mean, reminded us to be free about it. I think a lot of times yeah. we get so, like, penned into what's, what's, like, proven. And the truth is, like, these cultural, like, lots of cultures have been doing cultures, like – for thousands of years and only in the last hundred years or so, really since pasteurization, I want to say, have we come to this place where we believe that any kind of bacteria is bad for us and any kind of, you know, fungus is bad for us and mold means you're going to die. And those are just simply not true. And so right. um, we can kind of liberate ourselves a bit and and kind of learn some fundamentals about what's safe and what's not safe. Overall, you know, like bacteria in a lot of ways is very, very good for us. So yeah, um, and the thing is, Sandor, Sandor Cat says in his book, I forget, it's like a very small percentage. I want to say it's like 2% of the bacteria out there that comes around from fermenting is actually deadly. Like mm-hmm. the rest of it is, and it 
I don't even know if it's deadly as much as a, it might make you sick. Yeah, it might make you sick. But, you know, the rest of it is fine. Like, you know, so that kind of myth she was busting a lot of, mm-hmm. like, we don't need to listen to the FDA and for them to tell us how to be responsible for putting up food. And then also, like, what I loved was her, just her passion of, like, overall health. Like, mm. And can I just add to you, I'm you, taking another absolutely. class. <laughs> And I learned this. I didn't know this. I don't think, maybe I'd heard it before, but Louis Pasteur was actually a liar and a fraud. And everything that he published was basically either stolen from somewhere else or just totally fabricated. And they didn't know this until, I think it was 80 years after he died, He on his his deathbed, he said, don't let anyone ever see my journals, my scientific journals. <laughs> this is what he told his family. Don't let anyone ever. So his family held them secret. For 80 years or something. And then when when they went through those journals, everybody realized like, oh, this guy was totally off base. Everything was a lie. And we have literally built grocery stores around Louis Pasteur. And and how do we even undo that? We can't undo that now. It's too late. Like it's already ingrained that, oh, well, he has saved millions and billions of lives. But he did not. He was a liar and a cheat. And he was all about just getting attention. And That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts that that foundation of our understanding of food and safety is totally false. Yeah. Well, anyway. It doesn't, with today's climate and everything, it does not surprise me at all. Nope. And, and why we're so unhealthy, right? Like all right. these years later, you'd think science would have led us to like healthier diets and right. like yeah. understanding body, you know, function and bacteria and all those things better. But we have, he's probably destroyed us all. Yeah. So uh, that aside, so her points were don't listen to the FDA, as Lacey so eloquently put it. Don't be afraid and uh, take responsibility for your health. I think Mm. it was the other one is, you know, um, eating these fermented foods and dehydrated foods and all of these preserved foods on different levels than just, you know, canning Mm -hmm. really helps you have a healthy microbiome. And that's how you're going to ultimately stay healthy. We don't need to be eating all shelf-stable foods, and our body's not really meant to be eating all shelf-stable mm. foods. So I thought that was really good. And then the collaborating with neighbors, um, mm. I really liked that idea. She was very passionate about that. I guess she lives in, on a small acreage. I think she's, yeah, like on an acre or less. Yeah. yeah. But she partners with her neighbor across the street and keeps her bees and his bees over there. Like she takes care of them, and he said that's okay as long as, you know, she takes care of his too. And then there were some other examples yeah, um, like with one neighbor grows squash and she grows corn and they swap or something along and those dairy. lines. And dairy. I think she has somebody that she gets her dairy from, mm-hmm. you know. So I, yeah. I thought that was a great idea. And um, something for people with small scale is like, we don't all need to have a dairy cow. Mm-hmm. You know, if we share, and I know we get on this soapbox a lot, but, you know, even eggs, like maybe just one homestead in the area grows eggs and someone mm-hmm. else grows something else. Like, let's put our efforts together instead of being divided. Mm-hmm. Well, and even I feel like we're all spinning all the plates, right? And that just means more work for everyone. When I don't think that the homesteader life is meant to be a hustle grind, you know, like I right. think that, I mean, I think that some people really prefer that kind of, uh, that kind of state of being, but really, I don't think it's, I guess you should go back and listen to our time episode, right? Right. But, yeah. Um, really like just what are we doing and why are we doing so much if we can do it easier and cheaper? In fact, somebody, I'm so thrilled today, we, we gathered black, acre, or, uh, black walnuts 
yesterday, and so we've been asking folks, what would you do with these? What would you do with these? One more person said, well, I can't grow them, but I grow pecans, so do you want to share? And, oh, that's or, cool. If, I didn't you know, know that. We'll trade. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, please. That's amazing. Because, right. you know, you can only have so many black walnuts, right? But I don't have, we don't have any pecans, so it's no. a perfect trade, right? And yeah. so I feel like these kinds of systems and these ways of interacting with our neighbors and our, our even our larger online community is the way to sort of step out. And I think just the power of having 5,000 people together with that same kind of hope and dream for the future was really powerful because, I mean, we can just implementing the little things that we all learned there is going to change the world for better. So, but anyway, moving on from the, the preservation uh, chat that we listened to, I listened to um, something on orchard keeping with the Stark brothers which is a giant apparently nursery I didn't know about but Drew did so <laughs> yeah. I just I'm just not paying attention I guess uh, we actually have a local nursery tree nursery where we've gotten our apple trees that you know we feel good about because they know what grows in this area which the even Stark Brothers recommended that you find people locally that really know what grows in your area well uh, because every every climate comes with its own set of you know, circumstances and challenges or things that are easy or whatever. But they did share a lot of really great resources, most of which are available online. And their website is really thorough and has a lot of great ways to kind of niche down into what exactly information that you're looking for. And there's videos and trainings and all kinds of things. So I'm really excited to have that resource. I always encourage people to have a print resource, especially these days. So if you haven't heard us say it before, the Holistic Orchard is a reference that we use. I wouldn't say we go buy it a thousand percent. But if you're looking for a resource that is offline, that would be my alternative to that just so you can have it on the shelf and, you know, in your hands when you need it, should you not have access to the internet. But another random tidbit, somebody shared their love of the tromboncino squash. And I, I think I'm saying that right. It's, it looks a little like a butternut squash, but it's a really long kind of top part that kind of curls around. So imagine a squash that looks like a trombone. (laughs) But the reason they love this and the reason I love the sound of this is they're pretty prolific in how they grow. And you also can leave them basically outside on the vine until you're ready to use them. And they also are extremely shelf stable. So you can bring them into the house or to the root cellar or whatever, and they'll last for a really, really long time. And they're using them as part of their like feed supplement. So they're feeding them to the animals because they grow so prolifically. She said that she actually just goes along their fence line and plants them in like little mounds. She just takes like mm-hmm. a shovel full of dirt, you know, really nice soil and plants them in there mm-hmm. and then just keeps going all summer long planting them. So they're kind of regularly coming in to ripeness and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the truth is too that they, they said they taste just like a butternut squash or acorn squash really. So yeah. tasty for humans too. And it's interesting because we kind of did that this year just because we had a lot of extra squash seedlings that we started. We planted a lot of birdhouse gourds and uh, loofahs along our fence line. They didn't do so great because... Uh, we didn't do the nice soil part, but... No, we just planted them straight into clay. We just stuck them right <laughs> into the ground. <laughs> and, you know, they're growing. They're not they're like mi- or They're like micro... They are kind of like micro plants. But but anyway, we can just transfer that little experiment into something that's, that somebody else has yeah. had a good experience yeah. with. So anyway, excited about that. I need to get my hands on some of those seeds. And then we, we went on a walk with Daryl Patton, who is a renowned herbalist. And he did a great talk on herbs and viruses that uh, we missed. I can't remember what we were. Yeah, at we were instead. somebody else's. 
Uh, and that's the only problem. There's so much overlap and you want to see everything, right? But he did a plant walk so we could go walking with him, which is fun because that's something I like to do with folks when they come out to our place and we'll be doing it on our farm day and that kind of thing to just show people some of the natives that they may not understand or know about or be familiar with using. And he really did show us some of the same staples that I always show when we go because we were in Virginia and it's very similar yeah. plants. But he talked more in depth about what those plants can do and why. And it was it was very informative. And I mean, and I knew all of those plants that he identified, but mm -hmm. he had just had little extras about them. And I feel like he was like, I don't know, some herbalist you meet and they're just a little bit pretentious. Or mm. like, But he was just so down to earth and there wasn't like a dumb question and he just had so like just a wealth of knowledge. It just made me honestly like want to learn more about mm -hmm. that because it's um, just so passionate. Yeah, he was so passionate, and you know, like I knew plantain helps, but like he knew even more about plantain. Right. And I, I often like every plant he had, like the one that really stands out to me was the honeysuckle flower. Mm. He said the Japanese honeysuckle, which people call invasives, or regular honeysuckle, the flower you could use as like cure for COVID, essentially, like for a wet cough is what he said, but... And an antiviral. So actually, yeah, and an he, antiviral. he pointed out too, which I didn't know, that Airborne's active ingredients are that honeysuckle... And forsythia. And forsythia. Forsythia. <laughs> <laughs> what is that true? Forsythia. No. Forsythia. So that was interesting too, because I've not explored the healing benefits of forsythia. So I'm excited to, to add Do we have some of that growing? A little bit. Yeah, not mm. a lot. Hopefully more soon enough. I think it's easy to propagate. So once we get one bush going, I think we'll be able to expand. But, but it, it's funny because people like in this region will curse the Japanese honeysuckle mm -hmm. because they call it a quote unquote an invasive, which again is it like. It does come into the most It, it comes ways. into the most annoying ways. It can strangle plants. And it can take over and we battle it, battle. which I do not like that word, <laughs> all the time. But the reality is it's a yeah. plant that has moved into this region, just like plants move across the world all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of medicinal benefits. Well, that was one of the interesting things he said is that a lot of people will say plantain is not native, but there have been plantain, native plantains in this part of North America for, uh, there always have been. And then there are some varieties that did definitely came overseas from Europe really early on because they knew how important that plant was for them there. So they brought it with them. But his point of saying that basically, you know, at what point do you call it a native, right? Which right. is interesting because I think even for myself, you know, I don't, I'm not living where I was born or where my relatives all live. So I'm not a native here. And then not, at, yeah. at what point can I just I definitely say, consider you an invasive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of people probably do. Right, yeah. <laughs> when, is the, when is the clock turning, right. you know, like, I don't know. The but next generation. For plants, I mean, some of these plants have been here for like 200, maybe 500 years even. Yeah. Because, so it's just, it's, an, it, it's interesting. Uh, and I loved his perspective on that because it was different. But. For sure. The other talk was Joel Salatin's, which I feel like was great. Yeah. He's, I always struggle with him because I feel like he's probably the voice you hear the most in the homesteading world or the agricultural world. And But hearing his talk, I mean, you just, you realize why. I mean, he's just a very passionate man, very dynamic and entertaining. You know, he told kind of story after story and they were all, Great stories with great lessons yeah, in them. Some of them were a little and some of them are... to be honest. I, I like Joel <laughs> Salton, but I also, you know, he can be a little uh I don't feel like offensive is the right word, but there is definitely like a tone that he has that is He said he was gonna tell he's like, Well, I feel like I can tell this sexist joke because of the crowd and he went yeah. ahead and told a sexist joke. I was like, Oh, I don't know. 
don't know if you should. It have wasn't said that. actually sexist. I don't remember exactly it what wasn't it was, that but it bad. was it was a generalization, anyways. It was, and so you know, it's fine. He does him very well. It's just his character, like that's just who he is, yeah, and, and that's okay. But you know, everybody has their preferences, and right. who they like to listen to, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but he, we've read many of his books, and he's always got more coming out. And, yeah, I would um, say he definitely is. Like probably who inspired us to even start homesteading. Mm-hmm. He's he's it's paved for, away for like a the lot you of can people. farm book. Yeah, yeah, you can farm. Um, Family friendly farming is another great one. But he broke down a lot of things, and I think maybe in another podcast episode, maybe we'll kind of review some of those because it was pretty lengthy. But mm-hmm. it, there were some really good lessons I thought that he kind of just simplified. Maybe is a better way to say it. Sure. And then we ended the whole conference with Eustace Conway, which if you Perfect don't... Perfect ending. Yeah, if you don't know who that is, he's from Mountain Men. He lives in the mountains of North Carolina where we are. Um, which we've only watched a few of those episodes, but we do... I I read his book by Elizabeth... Or his his biography by Elizabeth Gilbert yeah. called The Last American Man. And it was a great book. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. I could read her all day, but the book was great and... Hearing his story was really good. And we've been to Turtle Island, his reserve just outside of Boone, North Carolina, several times. So, you know, reading the book felt like I just kind of had to. And then and he we've heard feels him talk like, a lot. He feels like a friend, even he though feels he, like a friend. he knows has no clue who we are. But, no, but the um, girls are, you know, it's funny because he'll, he'll give his horse carriage rides when he's at his reserve, when he has open houses. And my kids feel like they know him, too. Right, because yeah. <laughs> they've been on his carriage and yeah. gone on a ride with him. And right. we've sat in a room and chatted with him. And, he, and yeah, he's just he's become kind of a, like staple guru in our lives just because he's so close yeah. we can go and um he has a totally different approach than joel salatin or for sure the roads or anyone else really there i mean he's just a totally like off-grid kind of lifestyle so yeah. and it's been what, it's an what did you say like i think for 40 years now oh he's, he's yeah i think he's, he's pushing 70 and yeah. he's been doing it since he was even before he was grown i think he moved out of his house when he was 17 yeah he said at 17 he walked out into yep. the woods and that, that was, was it. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, and now I think they have a thousand acres for Turtle Island yeah. Reserve, so, which is pretty incredible in that region. And the land is not cheap. So I'm not sure exactly how he pulled it off, I think. No. But Just, I, he was super inspiring. He was definitely like, things aren't right in this world. There's a lot of mess. And it's your responsibility to do something about it. I think is probably the, the nicest way to say that. <laughs> I don't know. What do you say? The thing I love about (laughs) him is that he appeals to everyone. He appeals to children. I mean, my kids wanted to go see Eustace. It was like the end of the day. And we're like, well, do you want to go now? I mean, everybody's tired. And my three girls were like, no, we need to go see you here, Eustace. (laughs) So I feel like that alone. And then they said they thought. They didn't say that after Joel Salton. I say, I mean, I. That's true. We like Joel Salton, Drew and I did, but the kids were not as interested. But Eustace. He's just, he, he has a slow Southern talk i mean it's just yeah. very uh naomi was like yeah i thought i was gonna fall asleep and then i ended up listening to the whole thing to the whole thing yeah but it was just i mean he, i think like he I, has a calm but yeah. also like an extreme like, like fire, urgency that fire in the calm it's a really <laughs> interesting balance that he is able to kind of maintain and yeah anyways yeah his talk was really wonderful in the perfect way to end our time there uh, because he kind of it was just a like reminder of you know what drew and i are already passionate about is what matters most 
and we need to keep plowing in that direction because that's where, you know, yeah. where we can do the most good. Yeah. I mean, he was just, you know, kind of a, a wake up, stop being numbed by all the ridiculous Yeah. You stuff. know what, what's interesting? And we haven't mentioned this anywhere yet, but we came home and we turned off all our TV stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of like the final straw. I'd already had it in my mind that I kind of was like... How do we get so sucked in? We didn't even come home. We got in the car. I was like, Lacey, I think we got to kill the TV. I said, yep, let's do it. So (laughs) we just, we came home and we canceled all our subscriptions. Yeah. And I don't know how long it's going to last. I mean, we're not like committed to that forever, but I do think that there are a lot of people that I admire that have done that. And yeah, I don't know. I think it becomes a crux. And what's interesting is we've seen in just the last couple of days, we've just seen the kids in the last few days, we've seen the kids really step into what can I do with all this time that I'm not watching a television yeah and that has made it all worthwhile and and honestly it's just, it's really interesting we're going to come back to like I'll do a whole episode on why we kill the tv but it's just incredible watching their attitudes shift and mine too probably and mine too in mine yeah i mean i think that i need to work on more of the media things right like the social media stuff i think it's just as bad as the you know, screen time is screen time is screen time. And when you're consuming information and it's just not so healthy for your brain, maybe. But we can get into that into our, in our other episode. About yeah. That. Can't wait to talk about it. But so that, I mean, that's the super sum up version. The other part of the homesteaders thing that I thought was awesome was the all the vendors, all mm. the people, mm. all of that. Um, and coming back, like there's a hashtag yeah. Homesteaders of America conference or something like that. And so following that, now I can really kind of, the people that I didn't get a chance to talk to or that, you know, I met and now I can connect even more and kind of broaden that um, yeah. that community. But yeah, so plan on going next year. We'd love to see you there. Maybe we can do like a Schoolhouse Life community event up there. That would be really exciting. That's what we were thinking. Maybe the day before we all get up there early and do something. Something like meet up. Yeah. Something. Have a cookout or something. Yeah. yeah. That would be amazing. I would love that. But anyway. All right. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. And we'll see you on another episode. Hey friends, thanks for joining us on that episode. Make sure to check out theschoolhouselife.com. We have what's called the Academy. It's a coaching program for homesteaders who are interested in learning a little bit more about homesteading, getting started in homesteading. We coach you along in you know, the right practices, learn from some of the mistakes we've made, and uh, get started going in the right direction. Uh, that's theschoolhouselife.com. It's called the Academy.